Hi, this is Oz Davis with a special edition of the MacGuffin Report. In this time of social distancing and binge-watching, my MacGuffin partner, Rachel Wong, and myself decided to put together a mini-series on some of our favorite, highly rewatchable movies and, and bingeable series of, of films, thematic series, let's say. We'll be back to our regular episodes of the MacGuffin Report with our third, the indomitable Walter Hong, as soon as this coronavirus quarantine is over. But for now, enjoy the show and enjoy these movies. Your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Goat, g- g- ghost, the one God, forever and ever. Amen. It's his first time. He's a friend of the family. Bernard and Lydia, I shall now ask if you freely undertake the obligations of marriage. Bernard, repeat after me. I do solemnly declare. I do solemnly declare. That I know not of any lawful impediment. That I know not of any lawful impediment. Why I, Lydia. Why I, Bernard. Sorry. Why I, Bernard Godfrey St. John Delaney. Why I, Bernard Geoffrey St. John Delaney. May not be joined in matrimony to Lydia John Hibbert. May not be joined in matrimony to Lydia Jane Hibbert. Lydia. So, that was from Four Weddings and a Funeral. You're listening to Rowan Atkinson being the wedding officiant, Charlie played by Hugh Grant, and this film is also starring Andy McDowell and Kristen Scott Thomas. This is a 1994 rom-com directed by Mike Newell, and it is a Richard Curtis film. Richard Curtis is known for doing wonderful British romantic comedies. Um, We'll talk about one of my favorites later in this episode, but we're kicking it off with Four Weddings and a Funeral. I have seen Four Weddings and a Funeral on TV growing up all the time. Like it, it, it's always on TV. Um, had I watched it all the way through before on my own? No. So this was my chance to actually get a chance to do that. Um, this was recommended by my co-host Oz and I thought it was a great recommendation. Um, it is one of those fun movies that you can watch over and over. So if you are quarantined and are looking for something that's not just one of those releases on Netflix, you can hit up four weddings and a funeral. Now, As a fan of Richard Curtis movies, I kind of knew what I was looking for. And uh, Richard Curtis is exercising one of his amazing muscles here in this movie. He's great at creating ensemble movies. In this film, you get to know Charlie, the protagonist, and his friends. And as you go along, you get to care about each of them. And each of these side characters, they actually develop along the way, which is really nice. And you get a really rich understanding of their relationships through really small storytelling tactics, the way they react to each other, how they look to each other, just the different cuts, whether it's through writing, through editing and through general acting, you get a good understanding that these characters really care about each other. And that's something that a lot of um, new cinema or a lot of new TV doesn't necessarily have all the time. So I thought that this was really artistically done. Now, um, one of the films that it actually reminds me of is probably Richard Curtis's most popular film, Love Actually. 
Uh, they did a really, um, Love Actually does a really great job of building this ensemble cast of characters that you care about. Now, I do have one small problem with this film in that. Andy McDowell? Yeah. How did you know, Oz? How did you know? <laughs> it's a bit of an easy one. Maybe I should let you talk, and then we'll see if that we have the same opinion on it. Do you want to take this from here? Oh, well, I've got lots of to say about it, sure. You're going to give me the mic? I'll take the mic. I want to see if we agree on what it is and why it is. This one point of nitpicking oh. that I have. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Let's talk about some of the negatives, okay? Because cause I've got a few more besides Andy McDowell. Yeah, let's let's go with that, and then we can end with the positives, you know? Right, because I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Richard Curtis's career momentarily. But if you're looking for a Richard Curtis film, this is a really good one, okay? Because to some extent, it's a sort of encapsulation of the ideas expressed, especially in his explicitly rom-com films, right? For example, you have this thing about the, the, the one is right in front of your face the whole time. You have this thing where timing is so key to human relationships, Right Place, Right Time is so key in Richard Curtis films, right? In fact, there's a moment in this film where you think that the Hugh Grant and the Kristen Scott Thomas character are actually going to hook up. And then isn't there a heart attack at that point? Or they're interrupted, right? And you have that moment. Oh, that was it. That was when the chemistry was supposed to happen and you were supposed to fall in love, right? After this years of pining thing, they missed the moment, okay? So in that respect, this is a great film. Uh, I think it's, it's rather a good film, but like I said, I think it's flawed. And I don't, I don't think I'm alone in saying that. Here's an interesting factoid for you. Bring it on. As an Academy Awards geek like myself, I'm sure you know this, but this film was nominated for two major awards. Can you guess what they are? Um, no, I don't know this. Should I guess? Oh, yeah. Would you like to guess? Why not? Uh, let's say original screenplay and, hmm, <laughs> directing. You ready for this? Yeah. O- original screenplay and yes. best picture. Whoa. Right. This never happens, right? So. They're telling you now, I think what the Academy is saying is, is this movie is more than some of its parts, some of which aren't too great. Really, we'll talk about the positives afterwards, but the thing is, it's Andy. I mean, what else is wrong with this film? What else is grievously wrong with this film? Let's put it that way. That, that's my question. Okay, here's the other thing that's wrong with the film. I'll talk about Andy in a minute. Rowan Atkinson. Here's the thing. In comedy, in screenwriting, you're told, okay, there's the law of threes. Do you know the law of threes? Tell us. Okay. The law of three is this. And if you think about it, all comedy works like this. Okay? What you do is you have an instance. You have the comedy moment, right? The first time is to set up the joke, right? The Mm -hmm. second time, you repeat it, right? To establish an expectation. Right. Then you're, like, establishing that that's a running joke. And then in the third, you break that expectation, right? Law of threes. Rowan Atkinson is in two scenes in the movie. Where's the payoff? Where was that third scene where he gets it, he nails it, right? He gets it exactly right. He's there, right? He's an established Anglican minister now. Where was that? 
Where was that? Because you can't have too much Rowan Atkinson. You can't. You can't. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You must have more Rowan Atkinson. Time to just finish up with Mr. Bean. Right. But other than that, other than that little niggly bit, okay, it's Andy. It's Andy. She, I'm sorry, she's just awful. She can't decide on an accent. She has poor comic timing. You can see many scenes where they obviously had to reshoot. You know, you get the over-the-shoulder shot with the body double. You know, you can tell that, you know, again, these actors are finding it hard to play off of her. And it's made worse by the fact that you have all of these fantastic, as you like to say, Swiss Army knife British actors filling out the rest of the cast, right? Everybody else is so seamless and natural, and the dialogue is natural, and then there's Andy McDowell. Mm. She is the rom-com equivalent of Keanu Reeves for me. (laughs) (laughs) Automatically drags it down. Now, as for positives, I mean, you know, like I say, almost everything else. I'm kind of surprised that this uh, movie wasn't up for best costumes at the Oscars because British films like this often are. I guess maybe they just thought it was too pedestrian. Although they had some nice kilts in the Scottish wedding. Let's see. What makes this movie outstanding? Because I've got another one, and we talked about this before. For me, honestly, it's the relationships that you, like like Walter mentioned, something that he has to have in a TV show or a movie is that he has to love the characters. Now, I don't. I don't need to be rooting for everybody. But in this film, I just happen to, you know, really want everybody to find somebody, whether it's their Labrador or Prince Philip. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but all of these characters are extremely likable in their own ways, and it's because of really great storytelling, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's really what that's that's the uh, that's the thing that shines for me in this film. Good point. That's also there for me. But one of the things we wanted to point out about this movie is that this movie is made in 1994. And yet, this film could be a demonstration on how to do an inclusionary film. You know, for example, we have characters in here who are gay. We have character in we have a character in here who is deaf, right? And by the way, British sign language is weird. I know a little bit of American sign language, and whoa, it is completely different. It's way different. Yeah, it's wild, but. These characters are are organic. They're treated matter-of-factly, okay? There's not a whole big show made out of it, right? And, and that is something that where the positive force for inclusion and, and telling alternate stories and things like that can be a minus if you broadcast it, like happens in the modern day. This, folks, this is the way you include people who who don't usually get screen time. This movie. That's how you do it. And I'd be willing to bet, I'd bet you dimes to donuts that these characters just organically happened in the process. There's no way. I just don't believe that Richard Curtis specifically wrote a part for a deaf guy. I think that the casting people just said, hey, we got this guy. He looks a lot like Hugh Grant. (laughs) Right. He could be Hugh Grant's little brother, but he's deaf. Can we do this? And they're like, sure, why not? And that was it. 
that's the way more films should be cast like even in Britain. More, more films should be written like this. Oh, sure. Because I think from from what I know, speaking to casting directors and I know a few personally, they are always looking for inclusion in some way or another. Um, and if they can find it organically, they would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes they run into a little trouble when it comes to like producers and EPs and things like that. But from what I've seen and what I've heard from casting directors, they're always looking for some way to, no pun intended, bring more color into the scene. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. But completely pragmatically speaking, it, it's incredibly important to have folks in front of the camera because that's who you see. That's what you see. Yeah. It takes a geek to dig into, you know, who's the cinematographer, who's the best boy. Okay, well, here's some more on Andy's character, Carrie. Oh, there's more? Okay, great. Well, I just kind of, that was the one thing that had I had major problems with, and I wasn't sure if it was because of the thing, the way things were written or because of how it was directed. I have no idea. But... It's interesting to mention that they did a lot of reshoots without her. I didn't notice that. I wasn't watching the film that closely, but I just didn't like her character. I did not like Carrie. And when Charles ended up with her at the end, I was like, no, what makes you think that she has changed? What makes you think that she has changed? She slept with you when she was engaged to somebody else. You're having a kid together. I guess that makes that's supposedly supposed to make things better from what I hear. Marriage is a force multiplier, but <laughs> I guess they didn't get married, really. So, you know, force multiplier in that the good things get better and the, the bad things don't get better. They just kind of, you know, you learn to live with them or you compromise or whatever. But I just could not I could not admire her character in any way. It was just she just kind of did what she wanted. But without taking any responsibility or having any real autonomy. She was just like, well, this is what's happening to me and this is who's in front of me and this is what's going on. Like, make a choice, (laughs) Carrie. And again, like, I didn't know who was to blame for this, whether it was writing or direction or casting, but I I just thought that by the end of the film, I was like, you know what? This is a British rom-com. You're not supposed to like everybody. Like, British media is very good at making it very clear that life sucks a lot. And my understanding was maybe her character just sucks a lot. Um, and maybe this is just the way they see Americans. Who knows? Ooh, see, <laughs> um, I was hoping you weren't going to go there. I could feed into that a little bit. Uh, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. But I was thinking about whether it was a question of the dialogue or her delivery. Because... You think it doesn't make a difference, but then if you go back to something like Shakespeare, and I'm not saying that Richard Curtis is Shakespeare, and the secret to Shakespearean acting is you have to know what you're saying. And so the same words can be used very differently in the hands of one actor as opposed to another. Uh, I think that it's completely possible that with a recast, say, for example, the producers had been able to look forward just a few years into the future and see Hugh and Julia Roberts in Notting Hill. Would they have cast Julia Roberts in this film? You bet. You know, If you're going to have a token American, at least have one that has chemistry with mm-hmm. the actors around them. And she just doesn't. 
She just doesn't. Yeah, I did not get the sense that these characters liked each other very much. Like, I got a good sense from Hugh Grant that he was just very wowed by her. He puts on that boyish charm very well, that sense of awe, like, oh my god, this is the first girl I'm seeing ever. Mm -hmm. He puts that on very well, so that saved a lot of it. But I just... Well, it's, it's the exotic thing. Yes, yes. Like, Nick Hornby does this a lot in his books and sometimes in his movies, where the American girl, she's the exotic one, right? And so somehow they're valued highly in some of these stories, right? They're valued more highly because of that exotic factor. They might not like her. But look, here's the thing. Some of this might be character note, because think about it this way, okay? Hugh Grant doesn't believe that she's changed, but remember, he went back to the ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. at the end, right? So obviously he has an issue with this, believing that his ex-flings can change, right? Yes. It would also be great to get uh, Walter's note on this episode, just because he's the rom-com guy amongst our trio. So I would love to hear what he thinks. We'll have to get, we'll have to like fly him in uh, for a soundbite or something. But yeah, I thought, I just met, I just thought that at the end of the film, you were not supposed to really like Carrie. And in that case, Andy McDowell was excellently cast because <laughs> she made her character seem like she did not know what she wanted. Yes. And even when she was getting paired up with Hugh Grant by the end, her character kind of still wasn't even really sure about that. But that was just what was in front of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is another good Richard Curtis theme. People who don't know what they want or who they yeah. or who they want. Or who they want, exactly. Can I tell you what I want, what I really, really want? It sounds like a Spice Girls song. Exactly, but it's not the Spice Girls. I don't want the Spice <laughs> Girls anymore. I want Hugh Grant to have more movies where he says, bugger. <laughs> Forgive me for what I'm about to say in this magnificent place of worship. Bugger. Bugger. could be the Sam Jackson of bugger. He could. He could he could own that word and make it really powerful and great and then get to read children's books with bugger in them. Oh gosh, the golden bugger books. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's in the sky and nothing can go wrong Kiss winter goodbye Okay, well, Oz, tell me about another Richard Curtis film that might not have the word bugger in it. <laughs> okay, well, not having the word bugger is not an issue for this next film. I'm going to talk about a film uh, that was just released a couple of years ago and went really uh, underappreciated, especially considering a few factors. But I'd like to talk a little bit because, of course, this is quarantine viewing. And I'm trying to create marathons, as we used to call them back in the old days, but binge-watching possibilities for movies. Uh, so let's talk some Richard Curtis films before I get into Yesterday 2019 film written by Curtis and directed by Danny Boyle, by the way. Richard Curtis is that rare screenwriter whose TV stuff I like a lot better than his movie stuff. Right. Now, a lot of people would disagree with me on this one, but Auntie, and now, Rachel, you might agree with me on this one because I know you're a tremendous British TV fan. On TV, 
he did all the Black Adder series, and he did most of Mr. Bean with Rowan Atkinson. Yes, Mr. Bean. So, of course, Atkinson tends to make a cameo, at least in every one of the Richard Curtis films thereafter. Plus, uh, he also was one of the writers on French and Saunders. He did some of the work on Splitting Image, a fantastic puppet satire show in the late 80s, early 90s. And he even wrote one of the more popular modern Doctor Who scripts, Vincent and the Doctor, if you're a Doctor Who fan. Oh, that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Doctor episodes. Yeah, a lot of fans really are into that, especially Matt Smith fans. Matt Smith Matt fan, Smith right? man and Van Gogh fan. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, who isn't a Van Gogh fan? That wasn't a hard sell for me. Yeah, exactly. A lot of fans, that's among their top three or four of the new series. In movies, however, he, again, not really among my super, super favorites. He's got a seriously popular run of rom-coms uh here's his 10-year run from 1994 to 2004 he wrote four rings and a funeral bridget jones diary love actually as rachel mentioned and bridget jones 2 plus he's credited with the bean movie in this time span i don't know how much of that script he wrote but at least he created the character so he got a nice credit on that one now that's a pretty good five pack of films especially if you're into rom-coms you can mainline that stuff and have bean right in the middle so it's a nice nice break in the action but uh for my money it's been his later movie scripts his more imaginative just more it's almost like he's getting into magical realism now after doing realism now he's going to do magical realism for the rest of his career why because again like we talked about in the rob reiner episode he's got his money he's got his oscars he's got his oscar nominations he's got his great films which because they're shown on tv constantly he's going to get residuals forever and then his grandkids will get residuals forever <laughs> In any case, let's talk yesterday, a 2019 film starring Hamish Patel, I hope I'm saying that right, Lily James and other lesser-known actors from Britain, plus a few high-powered supporting cast and cameos, including, let's see, here's my list, Kate McKinnon, Ed Sheeran, James Corden, and Robert Carlyle. Yesterday is a high-concept film. Here's the concept. Struggling busker Jack gets run over by a bus, comes back from unconsciousness into a world in which the Beatles, and a few other things, by the way, never existed. And naturally, our hero seeks to take advantage of this situation. Now, this setup is catnip for a certain audience. Okay, so you're going to get a certain cross-section of fans uh, to see this film. But this is not exactly a box office bonanza. Despite... Danny Boyle directing this film. Now, Danny Boyle is the director of Trainspotting, and he's the director of Slumdog Millionaire. He's got a lot of great other films, too, but those are, you know, of course, those are the bookends for a really great run of serious films, okay? This film got just 20, $17 million on opening weekend on a budget of $35 million, including $10 million just for the rights to the songs of the Beatles. Oh, ouch. That's, is that a good fact for you? That's a great fact. Now, why was this movie not more of a success? Here's my theory. I think, again, this is one of those movies that falls through the cracks because we have kind of forgotten how to watch movies. I want to do, right here, I'm going to do a little two-minute lesson on dramatic narrative. 
Okay, English teachers, writing teachers, feel free to use this material. Ready, Rachel? You ready? I got a question for you. I'm ready. I've got my pencil. <laughs> my pencil? Who uses a pencil? This is not this is not the SAT. You don't need to fill in the circle. <laughs> Give me a summary of almost any story ever written, performed, anything. Okay. Hero goes through malaise or dramatic or traumatic event, uh, goes on search to find self or to find solution, goes through series of trials, runs along and finds either a cast of characters or a set of wise people to help him along the way, possibly finds a villain. Villain could be himself, you know, God against me against me against God, me against others, me against self. One of those things um, comes back to his hometown or place where he's meant to be. Find solution, resolution, hero's journey. There you go. James Campbell. James Campbell. Jimmy Cam. I love Hero with a Thousand Faces. Of course, it's one of those revolutionary books. Uh, once, once in a generation, kind of like Outliers, I think ultimately will be looked at. But in any case, Rachel, that's great. But you know what? I can make it even simpler for you. Here's what it is. Every story is about someone or someones doing something. That's it. That's it. Okay. Now. Now, it sounds pedantic. It sounds like somebody who's read too much. Here's the thing. Jack becomes famous, isn't doing something, okay? Jack mm -hmm. finds a way to live in a trippy parallel universe, is not doing something, okay? The story of yesterday, and I think this is what turned off a lot of younger people to this movie, it's not about the Beatles. It's not about the Beatles' music. It's not about fleeting fame. It's not about any of that nonsense. It's about... Well, should I say? I'm not going to say what it's about because you probably haven't seen it. So go see it. But I can tell you this. Curtis is the screenwriter, so you can fairly well guess what it's about. It's not about – they spent $10 million on the music. But the music is the setting even. The music is the device. The music is not the story. So I'm not going to reveal too much about the movie. I mean everything that I've already said, which seems like a lot, is unfortunately in the trailer. So I think they're giving a lot away in the trailer. But again, you know, they spent $10 million to get those songs, so they better talk about it. So I will say that um, this film requires a level of buy-in that I just didn't have. <laughs> I did, now, I enjoyed the film, but I think I just thought about it too much. <laughs> In that it, I don't know, something about it felt, it was very, like, feel-good to me, but, like, a little bit too much and it kind of maybe I just didn't care about the characters as much I enjoyed watching the protagonist but the love interest was kind of eh to me I don't know it could have been a casting thing um I'm not a huge Lily James fan I liked her in Downton Abbey um and I think that that is kind of her pocket there she set herself up to play that character who is kind of like She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. Everything has been handed to her on a silver platter, but she doesn't necessarily know what to do with it and make can make go out and make those foolish choices. Now, she has been cast in the lead role in multiple other films, like including even a Disney film. Um, but I just don't see her playing those roles. Like, I don't I just personally don't think that's her pocket. That being said, through screen tests and everything else, other people have seemed to think that that is her pocket. So we'll just, you know. Agree to disagree, and that's fine. Um, I enjoyed seeing everything as it progressed because I am, I am a huge Beatles fan. So like going through and hearing all the reinterpretations of the songs and seeing the cool 
retro special effects that they threw in there. I'm a Kate McKinnon fan as well. So seeing that was a lot of fun. Um, but and the, the scene at the end that we won't spoil also was trippy to me. Um, but that being said, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a film that I. The scene at the very end, the scene at the very end, the very end of the movie. Not at the very, very end, but one of the scenes at the towards the end of the movie. Um, but that being said, it was a fun movie to watch. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I'd check it out. It's not something I would go out and buy, but it's a fun movie to watch. Um, I personally think I enjoyed Across the Universe more mm. um, if we're talking about Beatles movies. But mm. this is something separate altogether. So. Well, Yellow Submarine, in my opinion, is the best Beatles movie. Okay, I, if we're going to really talk about Beatles movies, yes, we're going to have to give it to Yellow Submarine, oh, <laughs> which yeah. is a trip on its, its own. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, oh, I love Jeremy and Yellow Submarine. Well, I was talking about cross-section before. This is the cross-section. If you like the Beatles, if you like music, I would say, if you if you know that guy with the guitar – uh, or you've been that guy with the guitar, you should see this movie. Um, so there is that cross-section there. And I'll tell you what, for those people, they're going to enjoy this movie a lot more because there's a ton of in-jokes. Uh, there's a ton of good There's a ton of good jokes anyway, in my opinion. There's a lot of good stuff here in the script. You know, Curtis's script is good and tight. Not as tight as something like About Time, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, you didn't have any problem buying into the premise of that movie, though, huh? The problem with being a Beatles fan and watching this movie is there's some things that you don't buy. Because I find it a little bit hard to... Wouldn't somebody do a double take if this guy's doing, like, let's say, I want to hold your hand... Mr. Kite and Let It Be all at the same time. These there's an obvious He's he's on something good. Right. Give me the, what he's give me what he has. There's this evolution to the beat Well, I mean you could believe it though. You could believe that somebody could pull this off. If this actually happened, somebody could pull this off. Why not? People would believe it. I I think they would I mean, yeah, if you I mean today nowadays if you're looking at the people that are writers behind our greatest pop stars Absolutely. These people right. have the talent to do something sure. like that. Like sure. song, true songwriters can do that. Sure. Yeah. And, 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 and people would believe it. But if, you know, if you took a closer look at this guy, I mean, like, OK, one of the most prolific songwriters of our time was Prince. Right. Apparently, this guy used to crank out one or two, so write one or two songs a day, produce like one or two songs a day, whatever. He supposedly has got thousands of songs in the vault, which has never been opened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's not putting out songs that sound completely different there's this evolution of prince's music just like there's this evolution of the beatles music right and somebody i think eventually would take a look at this and go hmm i'm not so sure general public maybe not but and then uh, the other thing about this movie of course is the whole science fiction plot line it's kind of magical realism but it's kind of science fictiony because it's there's the implication that it's sort of an alternate universe or that something has changed in the fabric of space-time, or something like this. Okay, now, folks, I think we're going to talk spoilers. Can we talk spoilers now? Um, yeah, we, I just wanted to jump oh, in okay. really quick and say that the, the magical realism and the sci-fi aspect is not actually what bumped for me. Oh, okay. It is all the scenes where he's trying to figure out, wait, the Beatles don't exist. Like He's Googling things, he's talking to his friends. There was something that felt very ham-fisted about that, that I was just like... Really? Yeah, it just didn't feel – I was like, this is kind of cheesy. <laughs> That's not what you would do? I don't know what I would do, but watching it didn't make me feel great. 
Huh, interesting. Okay, because I, I thought it was completely logical. Maybe it's that it felt predictable, like the way the dialogue was written or something like that, but... I thought it was completely logical. I really did. I thought exactly, that's exactly what... I, I really thought, I really believed that he thought it was a practical joke. I, I bought into it. I bought into it. I love the script. I really, really love the script, except it has a few failings. Spoiler warning? Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Okay. So let's say, let's do this in three minutes. We're going to try and get this done in three minutes, and uh, we're going to talk spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, you don't want to be spoiled, go forward three minutes, starting... Now. Okay, so did you get the central hole in the plot? And I've got an alternative ending to fix it. Ooh, I, I have not heard the alternative ending. I, I know that we have a couple fans on Twitter that would love to hear it. Um, are we talking about uh, a certain band? <laughs> yes, yes. Here's the deal, okay? So if you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. There's that joke where he's Googling that Rachel doesn't like, and he sees that Oasis doesn't exist. And he makes some comments like, oh, figures, really. And the reason why I figures, of course, is Oasis had this massive reputation for just ripping off the Beatles, right? They were just being the next Beatles or whatnot, right? But it is established that the reason why his girlfriend fell in love with him in the first place is because he sang an Oasis song at the initial concert. Right? It, when he was a kid or whatever. Okay. So here's my alternate ending. Imagine if, after making this movie, which is all about the Beatles music and whatever, and how he's ripping this off and stuff, imagine if when the concert comes and he's got a big face up there and he's going, I'm going to do this one for you. And he does Wonderwall. Wouldn't that have been fantastic? But of course, Curtis and Boyle probably figured that this would be a slam on the Beatles, you know, after we've made it, that the Beatles are like, you know, God, basically. Um, you know, how could we do this? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I like that. I, I don't know. I think that alternate ending is really interesting. But yes, I see I see the problems there. Right, right. They would have gone, oh, this contradicts the rest of the film. I don't see why. Yes. I don't see yes. why. I, because he still could have done Obla Di Obla Da at the end. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. That would have been no problem. Yeah. The the other thing I had, the other problem I had was, okay, I think I'm still in time. The other the other thing I had was this. Okay, sure, the Russian guy and the and the English woman, okay, they knew the secret too. And I have a theory about that. I think what happened was is they died at that same moment too that he did. Right? And they went unconscious and they came through the other side with him. But that was probably left on the floor either in the scripting process or in the filming process. I'm 99% convinced that's the truth. But when they meet him at the press conference, where did they get the yellow submarine? Mm -mm. If the Beatles, that was the yellow submarine from that cartoon, from that album cover, whatnot. That is the thing, that toy, right? Where did they get it? They made it in like a week, <laughs> in a month. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> So, okay, end of spoilers, end of spoilers. We can, we can come back to reality now. Okay, great. I'm glad we got that out of the way, Rachel. Why don't you tell us about another recent 
film written by Richard Curtis, which I also really loved and which too few people saw. I agree. Too few people saw About Time, which is a 2013 rom-com written and directed by Richard Curtis. Now, it stars some of my favorite people right now, uh, Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye, not the science guy, and Margot Robbie. At the age of 21, Tim discovers he can travel in time and change what happens and has happened in his own life. His decision to make his world a better place by getting a girlfriend turns out not to be as easy as you might think. Now, about time, not enough people have seen this. I have made all my friends watch it, so I have done my community service. (laughs) This is a film that I can watch over and over and over again. It's something where, you know, if I'm having a crappy day and I just need to, like, snap out of it, I will spend whatever the two hours it is. It's a longer movie. Sit down and watch this with a nice bowl of popcorn. It's shot well. It has actors that I really enjoy. The chemistry is great. The casting, I think, is spot on. It just hits the spot really nicely. It's feel good. It's a movie that can make me cry when I'm in the right mood. Um, Now, I did say that it was a rom-com at the beginning. That's what it's categorized as on IMDb and on Amazon. Um, By the way, if uh, you're listening to this now in 2020, About Time is available on Netflix to watch. It was available on Amazon Prime last year, I believe, but now it's available on Netflix. Back to the rom-com comment. I don't really know that this is a rom-com. Now, a lot of the movie is about pursuing um, a love interest, but that quickly is resolved by Act 2. And it begs the question, wait, we're done here. What else is there? I really think this is a story about life. And Richard Curtis is really great about making that more of the central message that's packaged inside a rom-com, which is easy to sell to studios. And I think that is something that I really enjoy about Richard Curtis's films. Um, I have a couple fun facts here. Now, Zoe Deschanel was actually originally cast to play Mary, but due to shooting conflicts, she had to drop out. So they got the Canadian Rachel McAdams. I mentioned she's Canadian because despite this film being set in England about English people, yes, the family lives in Cornwall, not the same things. Um, three of the big stars in this film are actually from other countries and they're playing English people. So Donal is Irish, Rachel's Canadian, and Margot is an Aussie. Oz, you've seen this movie. What did you think of it? How long is this movie? How long is this movie? Yeah. It's, a, it's a longer one. I don't have the runtime, but it, it's about, it's, it's, it's longer. I'm trying to find it on the IMDb page right now how long this is. Okay, let's see. Two hours and four minutes. Yeah, two, three it has on IMDb. That's not that long. It's not that. It's not Lord of the Rings, but it's not your 90-minute typical flick from the theater. Love Actually is actually two hours and 25 minutes. Well, Love Actually feels like two hours, 25 minutes. About Time does not. About Time does not feel like two hours, three minutes. About Time feels about 70 minutes long. This movie is fast. Again, no wasted time in this movie. Even when things slow down. They're not wasting time. And that's kind of one of the points of the film is that every moment is precious. Again, this is not a movie about, quote unquote, I'm making finger quotes for those who can't see it, funky time travel, this weird genetic thing (laughs) that this guy has. It's not about that. It's about a man learning to appreciate life and learning to appreciate those around him and treasure those moments. And I'm making it sound really sappy, but it's really not sappy. It's really, really great, I think. I was completely surprised the first time I saw it because I went in with nothing. So I was happy to have done so. If you haven't seen it yet, do learn as little as possible about it. 
I guess the one question I had for you, Rachel, is when you said you've watched this movie over and over and over again, was it a thing where you watched it once and then went back in time and watched it the same time again? Well, unfortunately, in this story, apparently only the males in this family get this genetic thing. So that's right. I have seen it multiple times. I have spent uh, a net period of maybe maybe 20 hours (laughs) of my life. That I'm not going to get back, but they were well spent. There you go. There's a great way to binge watch. Just watch About Time 10 times. Yeah, exactly. If if you want to, you know, watch a film that to give you the warm and fuzzies, but you don't want to really risk it on like an, a random Adam Sandler movie you've never seen before, watch About Time. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, what was your impetus for watching this? Was it because it was a Richard Curtis film? Was it because he was starring in it? Probably. I'm going to guess that I got it from io9.com, which is a science fiction fan website. It's not a great website at this point. It's pretty corporate. It's still got some good stuff, like, for example, the greatest science fiction fantasy movies you didn't see in 2017, 2019. I probably got it that way. I probably got it through a great movies you may have missed In fact, I'm pretty sure that was it, which, guess what? This is a great movie you probably missed. Something great to catch up on in quarantine. Well, I think that's a wrap. What do you think? Wrap it up, Rachel. Let's wrap it up. Thanks for joining us on another quarantine edition of the MacGuffin Report with my co-host, Oz Davis. Walter, we miss you. We hope you're staying safe. Um, We want to shout out to our followers. If you want to follow us on social media as well, just search the MacGuffin Report podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. We are at the MacGuffin Pod. So give us a follow. Say hi. Shoot us a movie recommendation. What are you watching in quarantine? Let us know. Stay safe. Be well. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. We'll see you next time.